Hello again. Welcome to Series 6 of Satisfied. The Series 6 podcasts enhance the Reboot, Renew, Rejoice Bible study of the books of First and Second Chronicles. I'm Melanie Newton, just an everyday kind of woman who loves the Lord and His Word. In the last podcast, we looked at the benefits that come to us when we choose to stay true to our spiritual heritage and not compromise with the world. Today's podcast covers Lesson 8 of Reboot, Renew, Rejoice Bible Study. We'll see the deception of half-hearted obedience to the Lord. In 1630, a group of about 1,000 Puritan refugees from England settled the Massachusetts Bay Colony in present-day Massachusetts. Deeply committed to God, they sought to form a colony that was under God's sovereignty. Only those who had experienced a genuine conversion to Christ with signs in their lives of being saved could be members of the church and voting members of the community. But as life goes on, those very faithful Christians began to die. By the 1660s, it became evident that the younger generation was drawn to the materialistic success of the growing towns and not as interested in being saved and living out their Christian life. Therefore, they could not become official church members and voting participants in the community. Yet these descendants of the godly Puritans did not want to abandon their faith completely. They still wanted their children to be baptized as part of God's community. So, a group of ministers in Boston came up with a compromise known as the Halfway Covenant. This allowed the children to be baptized even if their parents were not saved. The hope was that the children would grow up and want to be saved themselves and become church members. This compromise rewarded half-hearted obedience. And nothing good can come out of that. We see that in the life of King Joash. I remember the first time I read about Joash, the boy who became king of Judah as a seven-year-old. When our children were young, we read from the Muffin Family Bible series every night as a family. One night we read about Joash, and his story fascinated me. His grandmother, Athaliah, declared herself queen, then killed all her grandchildren, except for this one boy named Joash. How could she do that? It baffles me how wicked people can be. Thankfully, the toddler had been hidden away in the temple by his aunt Jehoshaphat and uncle Jehoiada, who was the high priest that year. Keeping a small child hidden at the temple for six years was no small feat. Perhaps aunt Jehoshaphat passed him off as her own child, we don't know. But when Joash was brought out six years later and presented to the people as their king, Apparently, there was no question as to whether he was really the former king Ahaziah's son. Yet, even if Joash were the king's sister's child, he was still David's descendant. God's promise to maintain David's throne was still preserved. Joash was presented to the people during one of the three festival times. Apparently, the worship of the Lord had been banned in favor of Baal worship in Jerusalem. So a festival time might have been deemed a safe time for the people to gather without creating a stir in wicked Queen Athaliah's mind. The coup was successful, Athaliah was executed, and the people worshiped the Lord again openly. Hooray! 
Even in his late 80s, Uncle Jehoiada was a better mentor for Joash than his own father would have been, so God didn't need Ahaziah alive. But why leave wicked grandmother alive? It might have been so that Joash would be a bit older and not just a toddler when he took the throne. Probably presenting Joash still in diapers and saying, here's your king, wouldn't go over very well. And maybe the people needed to experience Athaliah's wickedness to prepare their hearts to accept a seven-year-old as their next king. By now, I think they trusted Jehoiada. He was a great high priest, powerful, faithful to God. He was running the show as Joash grew up, and he did a great job because Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years of Jehoiada the priest. Joash put a lot of effort into repairing the temple during his early years as king. And as long as Jehoiada lived, Joash outwardly conformed to God's commands. But where was his heart during that time? Jehoiada died at the ripe old age of 130. I'm thinking God kept him alive and kicking for Joash's benefit. Anyway, after he died, Joash turned from God. His DNA from wicked great-grandparents, a wicked grandmother, and a wicked father kicked in. But he wasn't alone in his fickleness in serving God. This is what surprised me so much. The officials of Judah influenced a now 47-year-old King Joash to abandon the temple of the Lord and to worship Asherah poles and idols instead. That tells me Joash was only conforming on the outside all those years. His heart was not touched, though he had the best mentor he could have had. And God kept sending communications to the king and to the people. They were not left without a continual word from the Lord, yet they would not listen. Half-heartedness is self-determined. God is constantly wooing. In 2 Chronicles chapter 24, the Spirit of God came upon Jehoiada's son, Zechariah, with a message for Joash, saying, Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, the Lord will forsake you. Instead of repenting, which he could have done, King Joash ordered Zechariah to be executed. The Bible says that King Joash did not remember the kindness Zechariah's father Jehoiada had shown to him, but killed his son. Yes, Joash killed his own cousin, the son of the uncle who saved his life. That is ungratefulness. God's judgment on Joash came swiftly. He was executed by the end of the year by his own officials who hated what he had done to Zechariah. At least someone was paying attention. Sadly, Joash's son Amaziah wasn't much better. In 2 Chronicles chapter 25, we read, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. That sounds like his dad. Joash's half-hearted obedience was modeled to his son, who adopted that response to God as well. Like father, like son. Early in his reign, when Amaziah made a rash decision to hire mercenaries from Israel, a prophet came to him and said not to do it because God would not give him success in battle. So Amaziah obeyed and sent those guys back home. 
But that made those mercenaries so angry that they destroyed and plundered the land on the way back to Israel. I couldn't believe what I read next. After winning the next battle, Amaziah brought the gods of the defeated people to his house and started worshiping them. I mean, say what? You bring those defeated people's gods and set them up in your living room, in your palace? What were they, beautiful or something? Were they gold and jewels or something? What was he doing? Why worship the gods that lost the battle? That's illogical. In fact, that's what God said to Amaziah through a prophet. He said this, Why worship gods that could not save their own people from your hand? Amaziah ruled for another 15 years. He was hated by the people of Jerusalem, probably for that idol worship, and then assassinated by them. God carried out his judgment through others. That 15-year wait allowed a one-year-old son named Uzziah to grow up and be old enough to rule at age 16. The sovereign God had his plan. Both Joash and his son Amaziah did what was right in their younger years. But even then, it was not wholehearted. We see the deception of their half-hearted obedience. We see the deception of outward conformity because outward conformity doesn't change the heart. Half-heartedness is self-determined and it is deceptive. It makes you think that you're being good when you obey sometimes, especially in behavior visible to onlookers. But when the outward pressure to obey or restraints are removed, the true nature of a man or woman is revealed. That's why legalism is so dangerous to Christians. Legalism is trying to earn or maintain God's acceptance by one's performance. That would include following human religious laws imposed by others or even self-imposed rules that you feel make you more spiritual than others or acceptable to others. But when you are forced to show outward conformity to religious laws, you're actually drifting your focus away from the person of Jesus Christ. You will be straying from enjoying a relationship with the one who loves you dearly to practicing a religion that might make you look good. Here's a key truth. The heart relationship with God is primary over behavior. God wants your heart first. Only the power of God's presence will change a heart. Jesus Christ deserves your loyalty. Loyalty requires humility. Humility leads to obedience from the heart. I heard an illustration many years ago that I've never forgotten. A mother was driving to school one day and her youngest child was standing in the seat beside her. Realizing the danger, she said to him, sit down, dear. I may have to stop suddenly and you'll be thrown against the windshield. No, the little boy refused. Please sit down, dear. I don't want you to get hurt, the mother insisted. No, came the stubborn reply. Finally, she reached over and pulled him down. He sat there sullenly for a moment, then said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. How often have we responded to authority that way? We submit to it on the outside, but inside we're saying, I resent it. God doesn't want our outward compliance. He wants our obedience from the heart. That's true for earthly parenting as well. 
The goal should not be outward compliance, but true obedience from the heart. That same goal holds true for discipling new Christians. Establish someone in a love relationship with their God, and they will want to live a life that pleases Him out of love and gratitude for what He has done for them. Otherwise, you might get half-hearted obedience. Sitting down on the outside, but standing up on the inside. As we have seen throughout our study of Chronicles, God is constantly wooing us. He continually offers us Himself and the power of His presence in our lives. Today, we get that through knowing Jesus Christ. Pastor Tony Evans calls Jesus God's selfie. When you know Jesus, you know God. When you have Jesus in your life, you have the presence of God in your life. Let Jesus satisfy your heart with the power of His presence. Then live in that power. Until next time, I'm Melanie Newton, and this is Series 6 of Satisfied.